Okay, so I talked a lot about, you know, there's a lot of questions. What do I spray and how do I deal with it and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, 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 I'm not against using sprays necessarily. I think there are certain situations where you got to use something and spray it. Uh, but, you know, you, you, it's not going to solve all your problems, folks. You, you got to get to the point or try at least work to that point where your nutrition is right and you don't really need to worry about it. And in the event something goes out of whack, okay, then you can turn to a spray or two. And if you turn to a spray or two, what are you using and is it worth it? We have, you have different reasons why you may want to spray or what you may want to do. So I just cop photocopied these pages that I took out of that handbook and they have a lot of valuable information. Um, again, there's some products in here I would never use, ever. I would never touch them. <laughs> I would never buy them. I don't ever want them. I'll never use them in my farm, even if that means I'm going to go out of business. Uh, I am not going to use them because I don't believe in shutting down people's nervous systems. I don't believe in destroying their guts. I don't believe in, you know, a lot of other things. Uh, I just don't think that's what the Lord called us to do. So what can you use? Well, well, I guess we'll start in the front here. Um, scouting guidelines for biological control options for bedding plants, and it talks about all these different issues here. It tells you how to monitor, where to look, and biological control options. So I talked about scouting. That very first page is all about scouting. All right. So for a lot of you, especially the folks that are just barely getting into farming, that's all news for you. So read up on that. Um, you will definitely be educated on that. We'll move to the next page because I don't want to spend much time there. You can read that on your own time. Now we're at table 19, page 54. Fungicides and bactericides labeled for vegetable transplants and bedding plants. So uh, every country is different. In the United States, you have certain products that are labeled for vegetable use. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're good for you. It just means that the government said they're good for you. You understand the difference? Okay. So the very first one there is a never. That's a never. That's a serious danger. And my brother is actually working on a PhD doing a bunch of research on azoxystrobin and what that is. Has anybody heard of azoxystrobin? Sold under the name of Heritage. You can get it as Heritage. Uh, the, it tends to be used on vegetable production for spraying. It says the target pest right here, leaf spots and blights, downy mildew, botrytis blight. Powdery mildew, downy mildew, depending upon crop, leaf, etc. Labeled crops, vegetable plants grown for transplants, such as coal crops, bulb vegetables, cucurbits, leafy vegetables, peppers, etc. You go to the comment section all the way to the right. It says preventative. What did I tell you earlier? Preventative. In other words, it can't kill fungus. And curative, broad spectrum fungicide. So this is saying curative, which means it could potentially kill a fungicide. C supplemental label used for vegetable transplants. Okay, this particular azoxystrobin actually causes chemical imbalances in the neurons, shutting the thing down. What do you, we have neuron receptors in our bodies as well. So what do you think that does? So some people are suggesting that that one has something to do with autism. I don't have a science on it, I don't know. It's just what some people suggest. You go down to the next one, azoxystrobin and benzovindel. I can't even pronounce that one. Same thing. I would never use these type of products. Some of the keywords you need to look for. Um, oh, well, now you have basic copper sulfate, and that's an old one. It's been used for many, many years. Um, 
it's very, it, nowadays it's marginally effective. It doesn't really work that well. Uh, but it can work on some cases. Then you have uh, Bacillus amyloquifacians, which is double nickel that this brother over here talked about. I think it was this one over here. That's uh, Bacillus amyloquifacians. It's just a, a bacteria exudate. In other words, it's what bacteria is released to fight funguses or to break them down or prevent them from forming. So they discovered that this particular bacteria can do that. So they harvest that, that and they use it. And that's a product that I actually use. And you can see somewhere on here, it says it's approved. Yes, it's got a little OG on it, which means it's approved for organic use. The other ones do not have OGs. They are not approved for organic use. Um, Bacillus pamilus, which is sold as Sonata, same thing for funguses. Bacillus, uh, you have Cease, which is a different type of Bacillus subtilis, which is, you know, you have different strains, so different products oftentimes have different strains of bacteria. They're very similar, but they're not the same. Again, that can be used as well. So these are some of these products that are oftentimes used, but the important thing is to understand what they're good for, what they actually work for. So when you are told, spray this or spray that, you know, look into that product, figure out what the active ingredient is, and if you really feel comfortable using it, but also uh, sometimes you'll find that uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. For example, over here it says target pest for Bacillus subtilis. We're talking about cease, fungal and bacterial leaf spots, powdery mildew, botrytis, blight, downy mildew, et cetera, et cetera. This one, uh, cease, it can be used as, uh, you know, you go all the way, I'm sorry, go all the way to the right and you'll see broad spectrum. Uh, pesticide, preventative biological fungicide, begin application when con conditions in greenhouse favor disease development through coverage. Thorough coverage is essential. So what does that tell you right there? It's not going to knock down the fungus. It's telling you right there it's not going to do it. So if you already have a disease that's so developed and you think that you can use cease, a product like cease, to knock it down, it's not going to knock it down. If anything, it's just going to prevent that uh, asexual reproduction cycle, you know, that short cycle might slow that down a little bit, but it's not really going to knock down the fungus that's already there. So it depends on what crop you're dealing with. Uh, if you're growing peppers, for example, you know, you, you only get a few peppers and the season is over, so it's probably not going to do you any good. If you're growing tomatoes in a greenhouse, it just keeps going and going and going, you might be able to prevent it. The new leaf, the new vegetative matter, but, you know, again, if you're not likely to be growing in that environment, likely you're going to be growing in a short season environment. So if you're dealing with it, it's probably not much good. And you could go down the list and find a whole lot more products in here. Here's another one somebody mentioned, hydrogen peroxide and peracetic acid, which in here doesn't say sanidate, but they sell it as oxidate 2.0. Sanidate is the same thing. Downy mildew, powdery mildew, leaf spots, blights, root sea, et cetera, et cetera. Works by contact, which it has to touch it, which means it needs thorough spraying. And when you do some thorough spraying on these type of products, sometimes you, do, you, you really stunt the plant. It, I, I've seen some products that have just hydrogen peroxide, they, they, they just stop it in its tracks. In other words, production stops. So yeah, maybe you'll get the fungus, you'll slow it down, but you're really not going to get ahead. So I guess the point I'm trying to get to is, first off, some of these are extremely toxic, and the ones that are not necessarily that toxic and they're approved for organic use, um, are, are, are really nothing but, but empty dreams. <laughs> you use them and they don't really change that much. Uh, they, they're only marginally effective, which means that, yeah, it might work, but probably not. You get back to the, the point I've been trying to make, it's uh, nutrition that you really need to look at. 
however, I'm, I'm wanting to educate you on what these products are. Then you have all the petroleum oils on the next page. Um, uh, table 19, I think. You have uh, fungicides. You have all these oils and, and uh, what else? Uh, Renutra. There are some products that work like... Uh, uh, they, they don't really, they're listed here in alphabetical order and it's not really biased you know, or compart or uh, uh, what do you call it, um, um, compartmentalized in any way. But there are some products that I really like. Uh, Microstop is, is uh, a, a, a good one for preventing damping off. Streptomyces, no, 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 I'm looking for. Sulfur on powdery mildew is, it's not even marginally effective. I've found it to not even do much of anything. I have had almost no success spraying sulfur to control powdery mildew. Um, in, my, in my experience, anyway, maybe somebody else has, but I certainly haven't. Uh, there was another one in here. I was looking for root shield, which is trichoderma, but I don't see it in here. Oh, there it is. Trichoderma harzianum and trichoderma virens, uh, root shield and root shield plus. That works real good against fusarium. So some of these are actually really good things to put into your soil. Uh, good soil inoculums. In other words, these are living organisms that you're putting into your soil versus a dead exudate or some chemical that has been extracted that is simply just supposed to stop things. Uh, I don't really believe so much in that as much as I do believe in putting proper inoculating. So we talk about inoculating the soil. So last year, I think I did a soil biology class. People said, well, what do I put in there? And I'm like, uh, okay, well, I mean, there's so many different things. Well, here's a list of things. And one of the main things that you can look for if you're looking to see whether you're applying a living microorganism or you're applying an exudate is it tells you right on the label. So if you get like trichoderma, for example, you get root shield, it's going to tell you 2.5 billion colony forming units per gram. That means colony forming units. It's alive. You're inoculating versus so many milligrams of a certain exudate of a certain bacillus uh, of a certain concentration, then you know you're just looking at an exudate. It's, you use it once and it's done. Versus root shield, you can apply it. It's a living organism. It's going to multiply and produce more spores. It's going to actually cover the root system and prevent funguses from attacking the root system. As well as mycoapply, which I don't think is on the list, and that's a mycorrhizae that'll do similar. Myco apply, M-Y-C-O apply. Okay, let's get started with Basidiomycota. This is the one that uh, most of us are somewhat familiar with, and this is the type of fungus that a lot of people like to eat and don't know what they're eating. And some people come in and say, have you, have you read the, 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 the quote by Ellen White that says that we shouldn't eat Mushrooms or something along those lines. I don't remember. Does anybody have that quote off the top of their heads a little more fresh? I read it somewhere. I can't remember where. It's been an awful long time. But anyhow, we'll talk about what a mushroom really is. Okay, so Basidiomycota. This is the last fungus I'm going to talk about. Um, this one is, uh, it has four major uh, pathogen groups, which are the root rots and web blights that you find uh, a, lot, a lot of times in sterile fungi, uh, root and heart rots of forest and fruit trees. Smuts of cereals, uh, rust of grasses and, uh, and um, uh, apples, as well as cedar apple rust, that's a basidiomycete. Pines, um, rose family, coffee, etc. 
let's see, Dutch elm disease is, is also the city of my seat that was actually uh, vectored by this beetle, the dark beetle, which wiped out most of the Dutch elm in the uh, uh, Midwest part of the United States. Um, and here, as you can see, the different spores. These actually put out different spores. Uh, the thing that's really interesting about some of these basidiomyces, oh, here's another fusarium rots, I think. I, actually, I wish I would have put this up earlier. I'll put this up again um, for you guys to, if you want to learn more about ascomycete diseases, these websites here, especially APSnet.org. Is there any particular disease that, or, or pathogen that you're dealing with? Um, APS is the uh, American Society for Plant Pathology or something like that, or no, American Pathological Society, that's what it is. And uh, their website is APSnet.org, and they have tons of information on different diseases, how to manage the diseases, they talk about the life cycles, so everybody in here is doing something different, growing something different, there's no way I can touch on everybody's problems, but whatever you have, uh, it's a pretty good chance that if you go to the APS, APSnet.org, there's a lot of educational information there for you. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and, uh, Apple scab, white mold, powdery mildew, et cetera, et cetera. Eastern filbert blight, if anybody's growing that. Uh, then uh, I'll start talking about Basidio mycota. So, uh, of course, this has septate hyphae, which are the same as the ascomycete, where you have these connections here. The only thing that's really different is the way that they actually meet. Again, their, their cell walls are also made of chitin. Uh, the sexual reproduction is the Basidio spores produced externally on club-like uh, or four-celled basidiums like, such as these, which you'll find are actually what you're eating when you're eating a mushroom. Uh, so first group, root rot and web blight pathogens. Fac they're facultative parasites mostly um, in herbaceous plants. Diseases caused by sterile fungus is asexual reproduction is the most common type. Sexual reproduction in this area is very, very rare as well. So these type of diseases don't usually uh, become something else. That's why when we when they, when they bred for, st uh, for a stem rust uh, resistance in wheat, uh, they did it in 50s, 60s or so, 70s. So here we are 50 years later, it's taken 50 years for the fungus to finally, you know, evolve, if you will. I don't really like using that word, but now we have funguses that can actually overcome those genetic resistances. So it, it took a long time because it's extremely rare to have uh, sexual reproduction in these funguses. Uh, Here's uh, Rhizoctonia is, are examples of, damp, of damping off of alfalfa caused by Rhizoctonia. You can see it there. That's a Basidiomycete, black-colored sclerotia of, a, of a potatoes is also uh, a, a Basidiomycete fungus. Um, here's the uh, fungal hyphes. This is how you can tell that it is a Basidiomycete and not an Ascomycete is because they have these, these, these T's almost perfect, you know, 90 degrees in and the way that the fungus actually interacts with each other, the way they intersect. And you don't normally see that in any of the other funguses. So if you're wondering whether you have a, a pythium or you have rhizoctonia, is to actually look at the fungus. Again, you gotta get that microscope, get that fungus, get, get those alfalfa out of the ground and take a look at it and see what's going on. Or you can send it in. Uh, second, a second group are the, the rots of trees, which is, uh, this is, you normally see the actual center of a tree. If you ever walk through the forest and you see the center of the tree is rotted out and the tree fell over, those are usually, the, that, that's heart rot of a, whatever tree it is that was hit with that. And those, of course, are also uh, basidiomycetes. And those funguses spread from tree to tree via root to root contact. And the basidiomycete is the one that is known for being the biggest living organism in the world. 
they, they found out that these organisms can stretch miles and miles and miles and all be connected to each other. Uh, some studies have shown that these guys actually, um, these guys and other uh, globular mycetes, which is a different fungus, actually communicate, they use fungal hyphae to communicate with each other. It's, I don't even understand it myself, but it's amazing how these trees in the forest can actually talk to each other and send out signals by sending out different chemicals, et cetera, that get into the fungus and eventually find their way into the neighboring trees. And how they do that, <laughs> I don't know. They could even exchange nutrients. And you know, if one plant has too much of one thing and the other one's deficient, it can release it through the roots and send it off to another tree. It's, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating how those fungal organisms work in the forest floor. And of course, they have a large host range from oaks and grapes and pines and fruit trees, excessive, uh, et cetera. They are very aggressive colonizers of dead wood. So every time you see wood rotting somewhere, that rotting that's happening with a fungus is usually a, a basidiomycete. So here's some mushrooms. These are the actual reproductive organs. When the two different basidiomycetes come together and they produce a, a mushroom, they produce the, uh, the actual spores are in that mushroom, and that's what you're eating. You're eating the actual reproductive organ of the fungus, which is really, <laughs> which is really interesting. When I first learned that, I, I got kind of grossed out. I didn't want to eat mushrooms anymore. But <laughs> it's just me. And anyway, inside the gills of the mushroom, if you take that mushroom, you turn it up upside down, and you open up those gills, what you have inside of there, if you actually see it with a microscope, are these uh, basidium. And this is what you see there, and on the top are the actual spores. So those are the basidial spores. This is the basidium from the mushroom, uh, or, or the conch, and that's actually in the gills of the mushroom, which is, this is what you're eating. <laughs> so uh, rhizomorphs are aggregate. Uh, they, you know, again, they tear up most of your trees that in the forest that you see destroyed. Uh, it's this type. If you're dealing with orchards, sometimes you have these issues, and again, um, it's usually the basidiomycete pathogens. Heart rots, I talked about that earlier. Uh, here's a, uh, what is this, a poplar tree, and the whole center was rotted out and the tree just fell over. So that's an example of a fungus wiping out trees. Here's a, a conch, is the same thing, that's basidiomycetes, it's similar to a mushroom except it's a conch. It's the same way, you have a lot of fungal spores right underneath it. You have a almost gills like fish and a bunch of spores inside of that. And you can see how they come in through the center of the tree and they work their way to the outside. And that's how they put their, their new spores out. Uh, the third group uh, is smuts. And this one, to me, I, I, I was really grossed out by this one. But uh, I'll, you'll see in a minute. There's two kinds of spores. There's the teleospore and there's the basidiospore. Uh, this basidiomycete to me, was the hardest one to learn about. So I, I'm trying, I'm going to try not to go too much into it, but it has so many different stages that it goes through and comes back that this is the only one that has usually uh, two hosts. So it's, it starts on one host like cedar, and then it goes to another host like apples. So well, if you're dealing with cedar apple rust, because it's a rust on both apples and cedars. So to complete a whole life cycle, it needs both hosts, not just one. You remove one of those hosts, you destroy the life cycle. Very interesting. So the teleospores and the basidiospores are the two main spores that, that you have to worry about. 
Uh, let's see. So host tissue infected initially helps to understand disease cycles of smut fungi. Uh, let's see. Uh, you can have issues with the seeds. Uh, you can have them in the soil, very young growing tissues, etc. Let's see. I can't remember what I was trying to say now that my brain is so tired. I put this slide together and I forgot what I was trying to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> it happens, I guess, huh? Uh, anyhow, it's an obligate parasite, uh, mostly known as a replacement uh, disease because the fungi tilial spores replace the normal seeds in a plant. This is actually talking about ears of corn. If you ever had smut in corn or smut in uh, grain, it actually replaces the, it consumes the seed, and what you end up with is the smut in the place of the seed. And anyhow, it's, it's not too good. It's also associated with uh, when you eat the, oh, what was it, ergot of uh, barley or wheat? I can't remember. Ergot. Rye. rye. There you go. There you go. Ergot of rye. Uh, it actually produces chemicals that are known to be uh, essentially, yeah, uh, hallucinogenic would be a good way. Um, I forget there's another word, psycho something or another. I can't remember. Anyway, anyway, they, they make you go crazy. <laughs> so from, uh, you go back, maybe you've heard of the Salem witch hunts. Anyway, they believe that these women were eating a lot of smut and, or, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, rye with, with uh, smut, uh, ergot, and uh, that essentially made them go crazy. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting story how a fungus can literally make you go crazy. Uh, and of course, I think there's an example, loose smut on barley, um, and you can see how it actually consumes the actual seed on the flower of the barley, which is the seed, and there's some images of the seed. That's an image of a combine there, so if you have a smut in a barley field and you're combining, all of a sudden, boom! You throw all those fungal spores out into the air. And that's not usually a good thing for a guy on a combine. <laughs> Here's another picture of a combine. You can't hardly see it, but um, it wiped that out. Um, here's corn with smut. And uh, this is common corn smut, uh, locally infected. This is more of an issue in Mexico. What I found that was really disgusting is that uh, uh, in Mexico, eating that is considered a delicacy. <laughs> <laughs> I, couldn't, I could never bring myself to eat that. <laughs> so anyhow, that's just a little humor. There you see the corn, you, know, you see the smut partially consuming the corn. Uh, of course, these are the teleospores of the smut fungus. Uh, these are long-lived resting spores, so they survive a really long time. Uh, they're very difficult to kill, the actual spore. Um, now we're going to get into the fourth group, which is the rust. I think a lot of people are more used to the rust. You can get rust on your flowers. You can get rust on... Um, your orchards, you, uh, your apple trees, you can get rust on, uh, what else we have here? Uh, let's see, attack leaves and stems. Uh, what were the other one? I can't remember. Uh, wheat. Wheat is the one that is actually hit. Re wheat and roses are the two that get hit the most by rust, at least most popular. And this is some rust on, uh, I believe, a flower uh, leaves, uh, rose leaf, I'm sorry. And uh, Rust host strategies, some rust complete their life cycle on a single host, which is autotaceous, which is a rose rust. It only actually infects the rose tree. It goes from the leaf to the rose and then back to the leaf. Uh, other rust fungi require two different plant hosts to complete their life cycles. These are heterotious, is what it's called, the actual term. Example is uh, stem rust of wheat. It's polycyclic on wheat, with this, which uses the uridiophore, and then it becomes a tiliophore or a tilio on wheat. And then the spurogonium and ACI are on barberry. So it actually requires two different hosts to actually complete its life cycle. Uh, the cedar apple rust is another example. It's monocyclic, but the tilia is on the cedar, 
uh, with no uridia stage, and the spermogonia and the acei are on the apple. So you actually have two different hosts there. Here's an example of spermogonia. This is, a, this is on a rose, I believe, and this is also on the rose leaves here. You see the rust coming out uh, that affect the petals. Um, uh, this is usually an issue with folks that are dealing with ornamentals and have uh, roses. Uh, here's some more rust on, this, on the stem, I believe. And this is the repeating stage of the summer. You see the spores in here. Uh, they're not quite like the ascomycete, but they have some similarities in that, of course, it comes in from underneath the epidermal cells and then just shoots right out. Uh, let's see, this is uh, wheat right here. You have tilia and uridia spores, the black and the orange in there are the actual spores that's taken back that, uh, that wheat. And then uh, here's the cedar apple rust. We have the tilio gals bearing tilio spores on the cedar. And then um, you can see the different spores here. And then on cedar apple rust, and then over here you have those same spores of basidio, basidium, tilia, et cetera. This gets really, this is where I talk about that it gets really complicated because these are all the different stages. This, I, I, this was, the tilia spore is usually coming from the apple tree, the overwintering stage, which goes to the basidium, to the basidiospore, to the spermogonium, to the spermatia, to the aceum, to the aceus, to the uridia, to the uridiospore, then back to the tilium, then back to the tiliospore. So this is the overwintering stage, this is the repeating stage, this is the overwintering host, this is the repeating summer host. So the fact that it's on two different ones is rather, rather complicated. So to whichever one is the one that is of value is the one you want to keep. The other one's the one you want to get rid of. It's that simple. This is the life cycle. This is kind of complicated here. So over here you have a grass host. We can say perhaps uh, well, uh, wheat. And over here you have the alternate, alternate host, which is uh, the barberry. So you have on the grass host, you have the uridium, which is a repeating cycle throughout the growing season. And then when it's all done towards the fall, it begins to form the tilium, which goes through karyogamy, and then it becomes a promycelium to a basidiospore, then it, now it's on the actual secondary winter host. It'll sit there until the spring. And then in the spring, it'll wake up again, and you have the pincium uh, or whatever, uh, pisnium, I'm sorry, uh, which forms an aceum, which comes out here and forms aceospores, which land on your grass host, your wheat, and it starts all over again. This is why they couldn't get rid of this <laughs> disease. It was so difficult to get rid of. They even tried to go around and actually kill all the berry, uh, uh, barberries. And they, there's, there, there was some, uh, what was it, back in the 50s and in the 60s, the, federal, the USDA went out and they actually paid people a bunch of money to go out and kill as many as they could. And it didn't do a whole lot because it was so prolific. And then they came up with, uh, they ended up breeding uh, things. And down in Mexico, they bred a resistance to this and they brought those, those rust back there. And that's when it went from some of these taller varieties down to your lower varieties that we now traditionally eat and consume. But that's how, that was the main instrumental thing to change us from the taller varieties to the shorter varieties was the actual uh, stem rust. So I'm not gonna go much more on that. There's a lot that can be said, but here's an awful lot more. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of you guys are, uh, <laughs> I don't know, some of you guys have bombarded with a lot of information. Um, some of them have been here for a while. The question was, I bought alfalfa bale. Alfalfa bale yeah. It was moldy. I put it in my garden as a mulch. As a mulch and then around, tomatoes. around some tomatoes. And then you develop, and then I develop fruit, rot on the fruit rot. 
Okay, so it's highly improbable if you put it on a tomato that it may have been, but it could have been. I'm not going to say it wasn't because I really don't know. Um, I don't know exactly what pathogen was affecting you. If it was even a pathogen, it may have just been nutritional issues. Um, but I, it's highly improbable. However, I think that there could be pathogens in alfalfa that could affect your legumes because an alfalfa is a legume, and some of those pathogens that it could have had on it could have also, you know, they could have also used or have, have gone over to legumes as a host. But I, again, it's, it's hard to say. Most, mostly, I would say probably not. Probably not. Probably what you were mostly looking at is botrytis. And that's what would have probably consumed it if you're in a moist environment. Um, the question is that there's products on the market that claim to have myceliums in them, and um, that's supposed to be mycorrhizae. Yeah, so um, I can't really speak for every product out there. The, the difficulty with buying some of these biological inoculants is that nobody regulates them, and we don't really know what's in them or the quality. Uh, there's no checks and balances on those products, so it's hard to say what they're really good for. Uh, I always encourage people to say, what are you looking for? What particular pathogen are you looking for? I'm sorry, not pathogen. Uh, uh, species are you looking for of bacteria or fungus, etc.? And uh, if it's not on there and it doesn't guarantee you, say, uh, Bacillus uh, polymyrexa, that's a good one. Bacillus polymyrexa, what is that good for? That's good for mineralizing phosphorus. Okay, great. Um, it tells you it's in the bottle, but how many, how, how many CFUs are in there? Another CFU is colony-forming units per gram of uh, actual portion. Then you don't really know what you have. So my comment, I, I don't really have a lot I can comment on it besides that, that you, you need to know what that product is and look into that product um, and understand that sometimes you're being sold things that are maybe not worth the label. So he's saying, does their function change over time? And I had an idea that I thought that maybe, and I think the scientific world says, well, a lot of these are new, but no, there's actually some study that has shown that rusts and other things, you know, the Romans were fighting it, the Greeks were fighting it, the Babylonians and the Egyptians were fighting with some of these problems. And then, um, you know, like they opened up sarcophaguses recently in the, I don't know, last four or five, ten years or so in Egypt that they discovered and they pulled these bodies that were very well mummified and they found that they had all the same diseases we have today. Um, and I don't think that the plants were that different. What has changed is us in sin. Um, our agricultural practices, the way we do things, um, you know, we're depending more, we're, we're, you know, we are counting, uh, every farmer has, every year has to feed more and more people. And more and more people, the world is rapidly moving into the cities. Less and less people are actually trying to grow. Uh, less people even want to grow. Um, I mean, we're all, we're, as, as, as a planet, we're really setting ourselves up for failure because we're, we're pushing the soil for more and more and more. Whatever we get out of it, we put it in a truck, we send it off to some city somewhere, it never comes back to the farm. So you're constantly mining the ground out of nutrients. You farm that piece of ground for year after year after year because all your equipment works real nice in that terrain. And, you know, it's just, it's just not how it used to be done all the way around, you know. So there's so many things that are just not being done the way they used to be done even 400 years ago, much less 4,000 years ago, that we're creating, we, you know, humans, I guess, because of sin, 
as, uh, we're, we're destroying this planet. We're destroying this planet in a way that uh, there's no sense in trying to fight to save the planet. And I, I'm very thankful that God has promised to us a new planet, that he has said that the meek shall inherit the earth because I have no desire to inherit this planet in its current state. It doesn't have anything good to offer. Um, the new earth is the only thing we really have a hope for. Okay, so the question is, he's importing a lot of horse manure and compost into his soils. Uh, what do you need to worry about by doing that? Um, I, my answer is no two composts are created equal. So I can't answer for you exactly what you're doing, but just, I guess, compartmentalizing it if we could. You're looking at horse manure. Well, any manure is the excrement of an animal. So you have to ask yourself, what are we putting in that animal? Now, horses are more likely you know, to not be bombarded with the type of chemicals that perhaps you know, cows and chickens and swine and uh, goats, et cetera, might be hit with that are in a production system where we're trying to use them for milk or eggs or what have you. Um, so it's not likely that you're really getting real heavy uh, toxic levels of any particular thing that you really need to worry about. However, yeah, there's probably some an antibiotics in there from time to time. And if you're, getting, if you're located anywhere around here and those horses are in areas where the ground is waterlogged, <laughs> then they probably have hoof issues and they're probably giving them you know, antibiotics for uh, I don't know what hoof issue they may have. Um, so you might have to worry about the antibiotics being in there, um, which maybe that's a concern. Uh, they're probably most definitely being vaccinated. So whatever's in the vaccination is going to come out of the tailpipe. Um, so you may have to worry about that. And then you have to worry about, well, they're being fed something. So what's in the feed? So, uh, you know, the Roundup, Roundup Ready alfalfa has gotten pretty popular in the Pacific Northwest. I, I, don't, I still don't think it, it I, th I still think it's a small percentage of the overall amount of alfalfa that's grown up here, but it's still out there. So, you know, if it is, then you got to worry about glyphosate and you got to worry about um, low nutritional levels. And, and I mean, there's a lot of things you can worry about because again, you're taking a product that you don't know, you really don't know. First off, there's the feed, whatever it was, oats, rye, alfalfa, et cetera. It's, it's bailed, packaged, put in a truck, sent off somewhere, maybe it was processed, and then ultimately it ends up on the shelf. Somebody comes around, buys it, gives it to the horse, uh, and then the horse eats that, plus maybe some pasture, some grazing, et cetera. And then you're taking that excrement from that horse, and now you're gonna haul it to yet another place. So, I mean, think about how many times that particular, those molecules have been put on a truck and hauled somewhere by the time it finally got to your farm. You have no idea what you're putting on the ground. So, I mean, it, it's complicated. I don't know what else to say besides that. Uh, then you, I, I guess I could talk about potassium and phosphorus. You could definitely get too much potassium <coughs> in the ground. Uh, you could get too much phosphorus in the ground, but uh, that's not usually an issue in some places, but I don't know where you are. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, you know, that again is a unique scenario because some people are very deficient in phosphorus and it might do them some good to amend with compost, but um, uh, it's, a different, it, it's a different question. I mean, it's a difficult question to answer without knowing more information. Yes, Ellen White says she talks about particularly termites and a couple other things that we need to spray them, uh, you know, that these things came up from the Lord. But her statement is really more towards an attitude that people had about. Uh, so, all right, I'll, I'll read this quote. This is uh, MS 70 1901. Um, MS 70, what was that? Manuscript releases, right? No, manuscripts? Okay. 
The earth has been cursed because of sin, and in these last days vermin of every kind will multiply. These pests must be killed, or they will annoy or torment and even kill us and destroy the work of our hands and the fruit of our land. In places there are ants, parentheses termites, which entirely destroy the wood, woodwork of houses. Should not these be destroyed, fruit trees must be sprayed, that the insects which would spoil the fruit may be killed. God has given us a part to act, and this part we must act with faithfulness. Then we can leave the rest with the Lord. So, like I mentioned earlier, there's a price for sprays. But we can't always run to the spray. You know? Uh, secondly, as the Bible says, in our ignorance, God winks. But the more that we learn, the more that God reveals to us about what we're doing wrong, the more he expects from us. So when you begin to learn how to deal with some of these diseases and you start to amend the soils and fix the soils and get to where it should be, I, I can't tell you that I'm not going to have any diseases. I could give you an example even in my own production system. Thank you, uh, John. Uh, in my own production system, last year we fought, I mean, I had aphids, I had russet mites on almost every single plant. Um, I had aphids on a lot of plants. So I have a, we had about 13,000 tomato vines at that time. I couldn't get them under control, but I walked into the middle of this production system like that. I took soil samples, I, I looked at everything that was wrong, I amended everything to the best wisdom the Lord had given me. This year, I had two breakouts of russet mites. They broke out in areas where the irrigation messed up, where the drip tape wasn't dripping, where the emitters weren't emitting. When I fixed those problems, I thought that it was over when I first got them. I thought it was gonna be impossible because I could never knock them down. And now, I have no problems. I had a little bit of caterpillars, and I sprayed Bacillus thuringiensis to kill a few caterpillars, and now I got nothing. And it was just a few cabbage loopers, that's all I had. And I got a field of cabbage right outside the greenhouse, covered in cabbage loopers. But I only had about a few dozen cabbage loopers in the greenhouse. Uh, I have almost no pests and diseases, and I hardly ever spray anything. So that's just my experience. You know, the Lord's going to teach you and lead you in a different path than he has led me. But if you can learn the right principles and adapt them, you can, you can expect to be successful, and you can turn to the Lord and say, I have done all that you have taught me, Father. Please do the rest. That's all we can do. Okay, the question's about mulching, organic mulch, no mulch, plastic mulch, etc., um, the black plastic mulch, I think, is an excellent mulch in today's age in the United States for farming, where you know, labor is getting difficult to acquire and expensive. Um, the less you can do, the better. So to use the black plastic mulch for me is a huge blessing, as well as increasing the soil temperatures, which will uh, help to increase the microbial activity in the soil. Um, the, the back to eating, as some would like to take, the dumping of uh, large amounts of wood chips, uh, you know, which no two trees are created equal. There's conifers, there's deciduous forests, conifer forests, et cetera, et cetera. There's different types of trees. They have different issues. They have different nutritional issues. They break down differently. Um, they're not gonna all break down and give you the same blessing. Secondly, many people don't understand what the guy actually did, which was mostly just mulching with composted wood chips, not wood chips. Big difference, huge difference. Because you're talking about going from 500 
to 1 ratio of carbon to nitrogen. 500 to 1 is about what the carbon to nitrogen ratio is of a freshly wood chipped, uh, uh, um, a freshly chipped uh, tree versus a de uh, already composted tree that may be 150 to 200. So the, the difference is massive. Uh, you've cut your carbon in half by the time you put it down. But then even then, it's still too high. So that can really get you in trouble depending on where you are. Uh, and then there's um, solar solarization. There's a silage tarps that people put down. There's all sorts of other things. Uh, alfalfa, pella, uh, alfalfa mulching is something that I've, I've tried and I've been very successful with in certain areas uh, with certain crops uh, because it's a mulch at first and then you just till it all down. But alfalfa is expensive, so sometimes maybe grass would work better. Uh, I don't know, uh, straw. Any type of straw hay you can get would be an excellent mulch, but. Uh, oh, the pathogens. Okay, so the question with respect to pathogens, um, it depends now on. So in, in the wood chips, I wouldn't worry too much about pathogens because, first off, wood chips are mostly the, 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 uh, the lignin is what it needs to be broken down. Um, and only fungus can do that. So those fungal organisms are particularly basidiomycetes, and they don't really bother uh, uh, annual crops. Uh, however, there's other things. In other words, in order for the fungus to do that, it needs certain nutrition that it's going uh, to take from the soil to do it. So uh, you may get a few inoculum of a different source, but then it goes back even further to what I was saying, where there's so much inoculum out there that you know, if you're really, really scared that you're going to bring in some wicked thing into your farm, uh, it's highly improbable that it's not already there. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.